Deuteronomy chapter 5 is a, uh, of course, a uh, recitation of uh, the Ten Commandments that were originally given in Exodus. Deuteronomy uh, is actually a word that means uh, the second giving of the law. Okay. Uh, so what has happened to Deuteronomy just before the Israelites are to go into the Promised Land uh, they receive uh, a recitation of the law uh, that God has given. In chapter 5, beginning in verse 29, the Lord says, Oh, that there was such a heart in them, meaning his people, that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. There were such a heart in them that would fear me and keep all my commandments always, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. And over in Daniel 11, uh, you don't have to turn there, it's a very short verse, but it, I think, is a good companion verse to this. In, Ch- in Daniel 11, uh, at the end of 32, and the beginning of 33, the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits, and they that understand among the people shall instruct many. So we here we have in Deuteronomy, oh, that there was such a heart in them that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always that it might be well with them and with their children forever. And then it says the people that do know their God and Daniel shall be strong and do exploits or mighty works. And they that understand among the people shall instruct many. So we have fear. We have keeping commandments tied together. Uh, And, of course, a lot of people say, well, you know, Christians shouldn't be afraid of God. Well, I would say that if God were to appear here, it would be be uh, Christ let's say if Christ himself would appear here as he looks today in his in his resurrected body you know as he's described in the book of revelation i would say that within about 10 seconds every one of us would be out that door we would be terrified uh and it would be something that we would have to deal with that would be very very difficult for us until we realized what was going on uh, so, of course, there's fear of God. I mean, God can send you to hell. Uh, and there are many people in hell who thought they wouldn't be there. Uh, but God can send people to hell. So there is a fear, and there is a, there's, there's different times of fear, and that's not the subject of my sermon this morning. Uh, but there are different kinds of fear of God. But there is the, one of them is, 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 is the fear uh, that he's a majestic God. And, of course, he's much greater than we are. Uh, and he can do whatever he wills. He, he, uh, there's also the awe of God, which is a reverent fear of God, uh, knowing that he is much greater than we are, uh, and that, uh, that his, his will is much greater than ours, and that we bow our wills to him. So that's a form of fear of God. What difference, I have a question for you, what difference does knowing the Lord make in your life? 
I mean, have you ever really thought about that question? Um, a lot of Christians, uh, you may have talked to people, they say, well, you know, they not really thought seriously about that question. Uh, what practical difference does it make in your day-to-day living? Um, here's another question to ponder, and it goes with that question. Can you think of one thing you said or did yesterday that showed someone that you were a child of God in Christ? Can you think of one thing yesterday that could not necessarily the person said, oh, you must be a, a Christian, but one thing that, that showed other people that you're a Christian, that you're a believer in Christ. Uh, that you have something that changes people's hearts, and that changes the way they live. Uh, it's a question that's been repeated a lot. It's become a cliche, but I still think it has a lot of wisdom to it. Uh, If you're arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? So, in what ways has your walk with the Lord changed you? Has it been a lot? Has it been a little? Uh, Or has it changed you at all? And if you think it's changed you, why do you think it's changed you? How do you know it's changed you? Can others see the changes? Uh, Some of these differences between a believer and a non-believer are called the marks of a Christian, the identifying marks of a Christian. Uh, In fact, it may remind you of uh, that we are marked by Christ in the book of Revelation, probably a couple other places. Uh, It talks about the mark. You've heard of the mark of the beast, but this, this is, I'm talking about the mark of Christ. Uh, and uh, he, he marks his own people. Um, so let's examine some of these marks. Probably only have time for one or two this morning. The first mark of a Christian is conviction. Conviction. Please turn to the book of Romans, chapter 8. Chapter 8 and verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him that we may also glorified together. By the way, that fear, again, is not this from this in verse 15. It's not what we're talking about before. Uh, he, t- he ties it with the spirit of bondage of fear. Uh, that is, we are not under the spirit of bondage of fear. Uh, so we've been released from that. But the point, my point is that this says that whoever the Lord chooses, he convicts them by his spirit that he is their God. And make no mistake, the Bible teaches that the Lord chooses his people. We don't choose him. He chooses us. Uh, in fact, uh, you don't have to believe me, but you better believe Jesus Christ. He said exactly that in John 13, verse 18, I know whom I have chosen. And again in John 15, verse 16, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. 
And as a chosen child of God, it says you have received the spirit of adoption, where we would cry, Abba, Father. Abba means Daddy, actually, Aramaic. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. In other words, God's people know they are God's people. If you're a child of God, your Father will tell you. His Spirit witnesses to our spirit. So the question is, do you have this conviction? Now, we don't have it in 100% constantly all the time. We go through spiritual ups and downs and valleys. and Sometimes we have serious questions about, you know, well, am I... You know, I'm, I'm sinning all this time. It, would a Christian really sin? Maybe I'm not a real Christian. I mean, you have these thoughts, and sometimes Satan plants those thoughts in your head. Uh, but down deep in your heart, over time, when you pull out of those valleys, when the Lord pulls you out of those valleys, you know that you are a believer, that you are one of his, and that's what the promise is here. And there's also another conviction. I've been talking about subjective convictions in your heart. A Christian doesn't, uh, there's an objective condition, uh, conviction. Uh, We don't deal in probabilities. Well, I'm probably a Christian. Christian doesn't deal in probabilities. We can, according to Acts 2.36, know assuredly that God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ. Assuredly. The gospel comes to us so that we might know the certainty of our Christian teaching, that's from Luke 1.4, that we would know the certainty. Uh, the gospel comes us, uh, to us not only in word, but in power, and as the Holy Ghost, in the Holy Ghost, in full assurance. Uh, it says in 1 Thessalonians 1.5, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power, and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance. Much assurance. The Greek word there that's translated assurance is pleurophoria. Pleurophoria. To, to give depth to that word, it can be also translated as full conviction, absolute certainty, perfect faith, not marred by any doubts. So our, the Bible speaks of our full assurance of understanding in Colossians 2.2 and our full assurance of hope in Hebrews 6.11. Abraham, who is called the father of the faithful, Paul says that Abraham was fully persuaded of the truth of God's word in Romans 4.21. We're told to draw near to God in full assurance of faith and not to waver in Hebrews 10.22 and 23. We are of the Lord may, quote, know the certainty of God's word, Proverbs 22.21. So it's a a grave mistake to know that to, to think that certainty is limited to areas like mathematics and formal logic. Full certainty, full confidence, without doubt, can and should be had in the Christian faith and among Christians most of the time. Christianity isn't merely very probably true, it's a certainty. And we know that because the Holy Spirit tells us that. Now, we can't explain that to an unbeliever. I don't care how well-versed you are and how well-read you are in Christian books and how good a argument, how, how good you are at argument and debate, you'll never convince an unbeliever of the truth of the Bible unless the Holy Spirit puts it in their heart to believe. Uh, scripture says that, that the Spirit testifies to us. 
Uh, doesn't mean you shouldn't evangelize. I'm not saying that. You shouldn't witness. But you witness with the word of God, and you pray that the Lord will open their hearts. Okay? Uh, you know, you can, they can always come up with some answer for you. If you could prove to them that Christ died, and it wasn't, you know, fake, and that he actually died, if you take him back in time and see that he's actually dead, and then he rises from the dead, wouldn't that convince them? No. If they're hardcore unbelievers, they'd say, wow, that's amazing. Someday science will figure out how to raise people from the dead. No, it's only the Holy Spirit changing their hearts. The second... Well, excuse me, let me go back for a moment. Uh, we're talking about certainty and confidence and certainty, and, and one of the strongest verses is John, uh, John 3.13. Uh, uh, in, in John's epistle, which we've been going through, uh, his purpose in writing it was especially this idea of reader, that his readers would find confidence and assurance in their faith. He says in John 3.13, 1 John 3.13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. That you may know that you have eternal life. That's why the Westminster Confession of Faith teaches that believers, and this is uh, Westminster Confession of Faith 18, that believers, quote, may in this life be certainly assured that they are in the state of grace. This certainty is not a bare conjectural or probable persuasion grounded upon a fallible hope, but it is an infallible assurance of faith, unquote. So the ground for the Christian faith is certain. Again, we have our ups and downs. Everybody does. I don't know, you know, I don't know of a single Christian, never read about a single Christian who didn't have valleys and times of questioning, uh, if not questioning their faith, certainly feeling that they were very weak in faith. Uh, but the Lord uses those times to make us strong. Right? Uh, his strength is perfected in our weakness. I'm going to go to a second mark of a Christian, and that's love and trust in God. You love him and trust him more than anything else or anyone else. He's first in your heart. Uh, sons and daughters of the king can cling to Romans 8, 28 and 29. We all know that wonderful, uh, especially 28, 29. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are the called according to his purpose. Uh, and it goes on, never forget, it goes on with 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So it's one of the most precious passages in the Bible. You should memorize it if you haven't already. Now we say we believe that. And we quote it to other people quite often who are in trouble, who are in difficulties. How differently we might live if we acted all the time like we really believe that. Like you fully trust God in every situation. You know, when, when children are impossible to handle and everything seems to be going haywire, uh, when your boss is making impossible demands and deadlines you can't meet, uh, when you're late for an important 
engagement and you get stuck in traffic and the car breaks down and there's nobody who's to help you and you didn't bring your cell phone with you and or depending on where you are you're afraid somebody will stop or when a loved one is injured or comes down with a, some horrible illness or uh, a loved one, a parent, a, a spouse, child lies on their deathbed or they're in the ICU or their teenagers into drugs or what happened to one of my closest friends since college a few years ago um, when he, he went in to see that his 17-year-old son was getting ready for school and, and found he had uh, shot himself during the night. Totally unexpected. So those are terrible testing times. That's, those are times that even in our grief, which is entirely natural and entirely appropriate, those are times when you discover for yourself whether or not you really believe in the promise of Romans 8, 28 and 29. Or if, have you only been mouthing the words to other people? See, all the, all the brave words you've said all your life about how much you trust God is on the line right then, those times. It's only in those times you finally find out for yourself if you really cling to God's promise. You know, a lot of people... In tragedy, I've seen people do one of two things. They'll either cling to God more and it'll deepen their faith and they'll come out of a stronger person or they'll reject God and say, I can't believe in a God who would allow my baby to die or whatever the situation is. And they'll walk away from God. So how much peace we'd have in everything that life can dish out to us if we truly trust the Lord and cling with every fiber of our being to that precious passage. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So, if you memorize that, it'll be one of the best things you've ever done. So, we started with talking about fear. I'm going to end it with mentioning about fear. A lot of people don't understand that. Maybe I think I've preached on that years ago and probably should revisit that. Inseparable from loving and trusting God, first I said conviction is a mark of the Christian. Secondly, loving and trusting God. Inseparable, inseparable from that is that you're going to show it by fearing God. And here's a fear that we should all have of God. Fearing what he thinks of you far more than you fear what other people think of you. So, if you love and trust God, you'll show it by fearing what he thinks of you far more than you fear what other people think of you. Especially if you're a Christian and you're trying to live a Christian life and people are kind of mocking you for that. Fear of the Lord is a beginning of wisdom of knowledge. That's quoted several times in the Psalms and Proverbs. We don't have real wisdom, we don't have real knowledge without the foundation of fearing the Lord. 
fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, of the beginning of knowledge. People can know a lot of things. You can know mathematics and you know how to fix a, uh, any vehicle, and you know a lot of things. How to scientists can know how to build rockets to go in outer space and all that. But the Scripture says if they don't fear the Lord, uh, they don't really have wisdom they, they, of knowledge. Uh, so we don't have real wisdom or real knowledge without the foundation of fearing the Lord. So we, we know the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, it says in 1 Corinthians. So I'm going to end there. Uh, again, conviction and love and trust in God. And asking you to memorize, if you haven't done so already, Romans 8, 20, 28, and 29. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, we thank thee for thy holy word, and we ask that thou would open our hearts to it, mine included, that we would cling to the precious promises of Scripture, particularly those that, that tell us, uh, like Romans 8, 28, and 29, and the others that, that we have looked at this morning, Father. Father, give us more assurance, deeper conviction, deeper love and trust in thee, Father, as we uh, prepare to uh, prepare to go to our homes and places we're staying today, Father, we ask thy blessings upon the balance of this day. Let us remember that today is the Lord's day. Six days, six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. And Father, we know that uh, it's called the Lord's day because it's the day of the Lord. We have six days that are men's days. But today, let us honor the Lord's Day, uh, and by keeping thee in the forefront of our thoughts and our minds and our speech today. We ask these, all of these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.